You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Suzanne Simard. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Think of yourself as a tree. You've got neighbors that you live beside for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and none of you can move around. So you just have to communicate in other ways. And so trees have evolved to have these ways of communicating with each other. And they're sophisticated, they're nuanced. They include things like transmitting information through these root networks that link them together. They transmit information to each other through the air. So they perceive each other and they communicate and then they respond to each other. And that information, that language is complex, and we don't even understand the full language. But what we do know is that they communicate by sharing information, resources, how well they're doing, how stressed out they might be, how healthy they are, what their identity is, their species, whether they're related or not. And that information, that understanding of each other affects how they behave around each other, and they adjust their behavior accordingly. So all these behaviors and responses are really about increasing their fitness or their ability to survive and reproduce and still be here in multiple generations moving forward. So it's very complex and it's not that much different than the way we communicate, right? As human beings, we have many ways of communicating. We talk to each other, we write to each other, we have body language, we have smells. (laughs) Same with trees. They have all that arsenal for communicating as well. Mother trees are simply the biggest, oldest trees in the forest. And the reason that we call them mother trees is we've looked at how they're linked to all the other trees through these fungal networks. And the fungi are essential part of this ecosystem. So these big old trees have got big fungal networks because they have a huge root system. They have huge crowns. That's the photosynthetic leaf area that sends energy down into this root system and into this network. And then that energy is dispersed through the forest and the information as well. And so that importance is by their sheer size and age is related to their energy, really their energy field. These old trees have multiple functions in forests. They communicate, they facilitate regeneration of the forest, but they also do other things. I was just reading and it's heartbreaking. They've just released results that the Brazilian Amazon has released nearly 20% more carbon dioxide into Mm -hmm. the atmosphere over the last decade than it absorbed. Yes, I haven't seen that particular article, but I'm not surprised at all. We found the same thing in the boreal forests of Canada, that they've switched from being big sinks for carbon, meaning that they took in more carbon than they released. Now our boreal forests, like the Amazon, are releasing more carbon than they're bringing in. This is heartbreaking. You're absolutely right. It can be changed. That's the hopeful part, is it can be changed if we're smart about this. But right now, we're still doing a lot of really destructive practices. If we clear-cut a lot of forests, if we burn those forests, which we're doing, we accelerate this decline. And as climate changes and warms up and precipitation redistributes, they're going to become more and more vulnerable and that release will become accelerated. So it's really crucial that we as human beings change our practices in order to stem this leakage. I'll call it a leakage of carbon into the atmosphere. We can do this, we can, but we just have to make smart decisions. I was so fortunate that I came from a family that just lived in the forest. I lived in what are called the inland rainforests of Canada, between the West Coast and the Rocky Mountains. 
there's this whole series of mountain ranges where they get a lot of rainfall. So these are the iconic old growth forests with huge trees. I grew up in those forests. As a child, my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather were horse loggers. They did selective logging where they took out a few trees and sold them to raise their families. So I got to know the forest from both perspectives, right? Just as a kid loving the forest and also seeing how my relatives made their living from the forest without destroying it at the same time. That was really amazing for me. I could see that the forest has this incredible regenerative capacity. Even when you take a few trees out, it seeds back in and recovers beautifully. If you take too much, then it doesn't recover as well. And that is basically what has happened is we've shifted away from these more sustainable, careful practices of just taking what we need to practices where we're exploiting forests and taking far more than we need. Changing that attitude from an exploitation to a more regenerative attitude is what we need to do in order to get back to the beauty of the forest and let the beautiful forest do its work to make a, a livable planet for us. I know that people are thinking about how can we invent a machine that's going to take CO2 back out of the environment and store it so that we can get our CO2 levels. Well, actually, we have these beautiful forests doing that for us already. And why are we cutting them down? I mean, we need some of those products in order to survive and live and provide housing and clothing and food for ourselves. But we don't have to take it all. In fact, we're taking so much that we're destroying our own life support systems. So it's a time for us to stand back as human beings and say, you know what? It's not an endless resort. We need these functioning ecosystems. We got to be at least as smart as the trees, but we're definitely not. Where I'm from, I live in Canada. We don't actually regenerate genetically modified trees. I think there's been development of GM trees. In fact, even when I was an, a doctoral student in the 1990s, people were working on developing GM cottonwood trees and growing them in plantations in the south of the U.S. and probably elsewhere in the world, New Zealand and so on, to create these fast-growing fiber plantations. I, I think in that sort of very limited use, it's probably okay. But as far as forestry grow goes and the conservation of forests around the world, it is not the answer at all. I mean, what we do do is we breed trees, and that's completely different than genetically modified trees. GM trees are where we're tinkering with their genes. Breeding is that we're breeding for certain qualities. We're combining natural populations to, to get certain qualities. Like, for example, one of the biggest things that we've done is we've bred trees for fruit production, or we've bred trees to grow for timber, for growing bigger and taller to create more wood products. I can see a role perhaps as climate changes and we're starting to get a little more desperate about sequestering carbon. We might do some breeding to put more carbon in the ground, so allocate more carbon below ground. I know that's kind of out there as far as forestry goes, like who would ever do that? But in the coming decades, we are thinking about those things. So I think there's a role for breeding. GM, I'm not keen on it at all. I think that there's lots of pitfalls there. And I think we've seen that in other kinds of genetically modified crops around the world. So what have you learned from forestry that can be applied to farming? 
Well, biodiversity matters a huge amount. And there's been a lot of studies around the world to show that diverse forests, diverse agriculture systems, agroforestry systems, any ecosystem, that productivity and health is correlated with biodiversity. The sort of industrial agricultural or industrial forestry approach to add fertilizers, to add water, to artificially augment these ecosystems ultimately kills off a lot of species. Below ground, let's just talk about the below ground food web. Below ground, there's all these trophic levels of soil organisms that feed on each other. They're feeding levels. And in that feeding process, they cycle nutrients. That's nutrient cycling. One organism eats another organism and then the excess nitrogen is basically excreted back into the ecosystem, which is then available for plants to take up. So if you start dismantling that soil food web, suddenly the nutrient cycle doesn't work very well, right? If you add pesticides and you add fertilizers, suddenly you lose like two or three trophic levels in the soil food web, the system starts to unravel. And so then you've got to add more fertilizer and more pesticides to keep the pathogens out because now it's a leaky system with pathogens able to create in and take over some of these other niches that the healthy organisms were occupying. It's a slippery slope and it's not sustainable. If we're using fossil fuels to create fertilizers and pesticides to make these artificial systems grow food for us, ultimately they're going to collapse because we don't have infinite energy. We're going to poison these systems and the natural food webs that naturally drive them are going to disappear. So we need to return to these diverse systems that are able to do this themselves. One important thing I'm thinking about right now, just after this conversation, is that I grew up as a shy kid. I was so shy, I could hardly speak until I was in my teens. And I hid behind my mom's apron for most of my childhood. I sucked my thumb until I was 12 years old. I don't think the expectations of me were very high in my family. And yet here I've become this person that has done this work, and I'm trying to convey the importance of these old trees for example. I became from a seedling that was nothing to a mother tree myself. So the lesson here to me, and I think to everybody, is that everybody has that potential in them. We have so much potential, all of us. We can all be mother trees. We can all spread the word. We can all do good things for the environment, for our societies, because those things go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So we all play important roles. We can all be leaders in our own way in this movement to create a more sustainable human population within our sustainable planet. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening. 